This is The Memo by Howard Marks. Today, another episode of Behind the Memo, in which Howard sheds some light on the thought process behind his most recent memo. Here he is discussing the pendulum in international affairs. People often ask what it is that got me started writing the memos. And the answer, if you read the first one from 1990, was the juxtaposition of two events. I ran into a pension fund head who had a terrific 14-year result, and he explained that he accomplished it by having 14 individual years, none of which was terrific, but none of which was below average. And then, shortly later, I heard a New York money manager say, to excuse a very bad year, of course, if you want to be in the top 5% of money managers, you have to be in the bottom 5%. My immediate reaction was to compare and contrast those two approaches and to conclude that I like the first one better. Steady, consistent, risk control, never shooting for the top, never hitting the bottom. It was the juxtaposition of those two events that I learned so much from and that got me started in writing the memos. And I would say that one of the main reasons I've continued is that I still see connections in seemingly unrelated events and lessons in very kind of off-the-mark experiences. Fast forward to a meeting of the Brookfield Asset Management Board. We started off the board meeting by talking about Ukraine, how terrible it was and what the ramifications of the Russian aggression were likely to be. And we quickly got around to the energy situation and the fact that Europe is heavily dependent on Russia for energy or certain European countries. German very heavily, France not so much because it has continued its nuclear program. And so, of course, we want to impose very stringent sanctions on Russia and we're doing so, and we're hitting them hard in every way except perhaps the most important way, which is that we are permitting energy exports, sales. So thinking about Germany's dependence on Russia led me to think about the dependence that has developed over the last, I guess, quarter century of developed world importers, manufacturers and consumers on exports from the developing world. I connected those two thoughts, the German dependence and the offshoring of sourcing and manufacturing, if you will, to another of my recurring themes, which is the pendulum. There has been a decades-long swing of the pendulum towards outsourcing and offshoring, towards obtaining in the case of imports from Asia, cheaper, quicker. And in the case of Germany and energy, I think primarily greener. They could have energy consumption without energy production if they would engage in importation. So that was the theme that got me started on this memo, the pendulum in international affairs. I think that the pendulum is a great metaphor for understanding human psychology, decision-making that involves psychology and emotion, and investing. 
I've been thinking about and talking about and writing about these pendulum swings for at least 32 years. And the more I was involved in the investment business, the more I came to think about the importance of psychology. I often say to people, let's think about the economy. And I trace an imaginary line from lower left to the upper right with my finger. I say, this is how the economy moves. It moves on an upper track with very, very minor fluctuations. The economy is usually up 2% a year. 4% is a great year. Zero is a poor year. Down a couple of percent is a serious recession. Now think about corporate profits. Corporate profits oscillate much more than the economy because business is levered. It's levered financially through the use of debt and it's levered operationally because it produces a varying amount of output, often from a fixed amount of facilities. And so when the output goes down, the facilities weigh on the profits. When the output goes up and you don't need additional facilities, that produces high marginal profitability. So corporate profits fluctuate considerably more than the economy. They tend to rise in the long run, perhaps 6 or 7% a year, but sometimes they're up 15, sometimes they're down. And so clearly much more volatile than the economy. Now think about the market. The market fluctuates wildly. The S&P 500 has gained, I think, 10.5% a year on average for the last 90 years. But interestingly, not only is it not up 10.5% every year, it's rarely up between 8 and 12%. In other words, the average is not the norm. Got to think about that. The stock market goes up 20% a year. Last year, the return on the S&P was 27. Sometimes it doesn't go up at all. Why is the stock market so much more volatile than the underlying corporate profits? And the answer is the involvement of people. That's what the market is. There is no such thing as the market. It's just a bunch of people and institutions and organizations and companies spread all around the world. And people are dominated in the short run by their psychology and their emotions. Ben Graham, Warren Buffett's teacher, is famous for having said that in the long run, the market is a weighing machine, but in the short run, it's a voting machine. In the long run, it weighs and analyzes the merits of companies, their assets, and their ability to produce profits and to grow. But in the short run, it's emotion. It's popularity. And this is what makes the market so volatile and so unpredictable. One thing I said at the beginning of 2016, which was a year in which the market got off into one of the worst starts in history, I said, in real life, things tend to fluctuate from pretty good to not so hot. But in the market, they swing from flawless to hopeless. So the key is to understand the swings of psychology, the swings of emotion. And I think that the best way to understand the swings is by thinking of the pendulum. 
So think of the pendulum as attached at the top, hanging by a string. There's a weight at the bottom. And let's say that the weight is hanging steady at the midpoint. Now it gets some energy and it moves toward the right. It's moving toward the right extreme. And it does so, but as it moves towards the right extreme and it rises away from the floor, the energy required to keep it moving increases just at the time that the movement saps the energy. Eventually, the swing of the pendulum reaches a limit on the right, in which case it begins to fall back toward the midpoint. And it falls toward the midpoint, gaining energy from gravity, but it doesn't stop at the midpoint. It swings through the midpoint and begins to move toward the left extreme. But again, as it moves toward the left extreme, the job gets harder because now the pendulum is swinging upward against gravity. The energy required to keep it swinging rises. The energy is sapped by the swing and it reaches a maximum on the left, at which point it starts to swing back again toward the midpoint and through it and toward the right extreme. Some pendulums might spend more time in the middle, some might swing faster, some slower, but I think it's helpful to think about the swing from one extreme back toward the midpoint, through the midpoint, and to the other extreme and back. as fairly continuous. Now, one of the things that I do with audiences or clients, if I want to have a little fun, is I say, okay, I swing my hand from left to right, simulating the arc of the pendulum. And I say, you statisticians out there, on average, where is the pendulum? And if you took the weighted average of all the positions of the pendulum through the swing of the arc, you would say, well, on average, the pendulum is in the middle. And then I say, okay, how much of its time does it spend in the middle? And the answer is almost none. That, I think, helps you to understand the pendulum. It's in motion. It's usually swinging toward one extreme, one excess, or back away from it toward the midpoint, through the midpoint, and to the opposite extreme or excess. That's the pendulum. People always ask me, what is it that's going to arrest the market rise? What is it that's going to cause the market to start turning down? Or what's going to arrest the decline and start it turning up? And everybody wants an explanation, an event to watch out for, to predict the timing of, so that they can know when to turn bullish or bearish. But if you think about the pendulum, it doesn't need an event. When it reaches the maximum of its arc, it is at a point that is unsustainable and it falls back toward the middle of its own weight. This is important to note. Sometimes there is an event. The upturn of the market was arrested at the beginning of 2020 by the arrival of the pandemic. The downswing of the market was arrested in March of 2020 by the arrival of the Fed and the Treasury coming to the rescue. So there certainly are events. Back in 08, the upswing was caused by the defaults among mortgage-backed securities and the financial institutions that held them. And again, the downswing was arrested by the arrival of the Fed and the Treasury. The latter theme is a repeating one. The rise tends to be arrested by natural events. The fall is often arrested by a rescue from the Fed. 
But we do reach a point in the markets where things get so cheap that they just can't get any cheaper and they start to become less cheap in a pendulum-like fashion. Readers will note that in my 2018 book, Mastering the Market Cycle, I devote successive chapters to a number of different kinds of cycles. The economic cycle, which I discussed earlier in this podcast, the cycle in corporate profits, which I discussed, the real estate cycle, the cycle in capital availability, the cycle in distress, the cycle in risk tolerance. And then when I got to the subject of psychology, I couldn't resist deviating from the cycle nomenclature. And of course, I returned to talking about the pendulum of psychology. I also said in that chapter, it was a tortured analogy, but if you take a pendulum, put a piece of paper behind it, start the pendulum swinging from left to right and pull the paper through, what will you get? You'll get a typical drawing of a cycle turned on its side. They're really one and the same, but I just think that the pendulum is such a better metaphor for psychology and emotion. Of course, that's what's going on today in these international decisions. We had a swing toward efficiency and economy and cheapness. Now we're, I think, going to get a swing back towards dependability, safety, security in these offshoring decisions. But then, you know, uh, time will go by. The world will be a serene place. There won't be any disruptions. And then people will again start to say, well, just remember, we could save money if we got our materials or our components or our finished goods from the low labor cost countries and the pendulum will swing back toward offshoring and outsourcing. These are the way these things go. One of the things about the pendulum is wherever we are, human nature tends to think we're going to stay there. Whereas if you view history and the history of pendulum swings, you'll understand that we're not going to stay there. There are no permanent solutions because there are no perfect solutions. Many of the decisions we make in life consists of trade-offs. You look at the European energy situation. They got cheaper, greener energy, but they incurred dependence on Russia. At one point in time, they decided in favor of cheap energy. I believe at another point in time, like now, they're going to decide in favor of energy security. But the considerations waver, people, views fluctuate, and we see change in what people consider important. The facts don't change, but what people consider more important changes over time. I wrote a memo once on confidence, the role of confidence. And when people have high confidence, they are optimistic. They think the future is under control. They tend to pay more for assets. The market swings toward bullish and eventually reaches a top. When they lose their confidence, they think the world is unpredictable and that poor outcomes may lie ahead. They think that assets are less desirable because their prices are uncertain and they let asset prices fall. Attitudes, confidence fluctuates. Many, many things fluctuate. And they will bedevil your short-term experience. Eventually, the fluctuations may be so extreme that they create opportunities to buy bargains, opportunities to sell out or even short at 
ridiculously extreme prices. So the real question then, isn't it? How will we live with the fluctuations? What will we do about the fluctuations? And I think, again, useful thinking about the pendulum. There's a midpoint. Sometimes I call it the happy medium. And we know that the market, the stocks of individual companies, human emotion, et cetera, don't spend a lot of time at the happy medium. Sometimes we're too optimistic, sometimes too pessimistic, sometimes too greedy, sometimes too fearful, et cetera. So we see swings. We see slight swings. We see healthy swings. We see extreme swings. That's what Alan Greenspan was talking about in 1996 when he said, we're beginning to see signs of irrational exuberance. In other words, exuberance and greed and optimism and bullishness had swung too far so that the prices were irrational outside the zone of reason. What do we do about the swings? And I believe that when the market has swung to an irrational extreme, it's possible to take advantage through sales at high prices, through purchases at low prices. And everybody has to understand that it's very common for the market or for an individual stock to be overvalued, overpriced, and become more so and more so and more so. And it is through this continuing swing of the pendulum that an overpricing becomes a bull market, which becomes a hot market, which becomes a bubble. It's a progression, but it's silly to think and dangerous to think that just because something's overpriced, it's going to go down tomorrow. It can go up for years and years. And I mentioned Greenspan talking about irrational exuberance. I believe it was 96. That market continued upward for four more years and eventually produced the TMT bubble, tech, media, and telecom bubble, one of the greatest bubbles we ever saw in a sector. You shouldn't think that everything that's overpriced is going to go up tomorrow and everything that's underpriced is going to go down tomorrow. You should understand that the pendulum will continue to swing away from the midpoint for a while an unspecified and unspecifiable while before it swings back and corrects. The swings, as I say, the timing is not standard and not predictable, and the extent, the speed are not predictable. It's very hard to act on small deviations from fair value. It's only when they get crazy that we can make reliable calls five or six times in one's lifetime. So the bottom line is, The pendulum is something we're stuck with. We've always seen it. We will always see it. As long as there are people involved in the markets, we have to understand that most of the swings of the pendulum are noise. We have to see through the swings in the pendulum to understand where we really are, whether we have reached irrationality and we should do something about it, or whether we're just in the middle ground. Pendulum swings may be upsetting, but there's nothing to do with them. We live with them. It's a fact of life. The unemotional investor sees through them and it does not affect his or her decisions. I'm glad that I had an opportunity to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Thank you for listening to The Memo by Howard Marks. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast expresses the views of the author as of the date indicated and such views are subject to change without notice.
Oak Tree has no duty or obligation to update the information contained herein. Further, Oak Tree makes no representation, and it should not be assumed that past investment performance is an indication of future results. Moreover, wherever there is a potential for profit, there is also the possibility of loss. This podcast is being made available for educational purposes only and should not be used for any other purpose. The information contained herein does not constitute and should not be construed as an offering of advisory services or an offer to sell or solicitation to buy any securities or related financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Certain information contained herein concerning economic trends and performances based on or derived from information provided by independent third-party sources. Oak Tree Capital Management, LP, Oak Tree, believes that the sources from which such information has been obtained are reliable. However, it cannot guarantee the accuracy of such information and has not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of such information or the assumptions on which such information is based. This podcast, including the information contained herein, may not be copied, reproduced, republished, or posted in whole or in part in any form without the prior written consent of Oak Tree. Audiation.